Welcome to Jumpstart Your Career podcast. I'm your host, Sandra Laws, career coach and founder of Purple Transitions Personal Growth. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking to Carol May Coleman Nelson. She's the best-selling author of multicultural children's books. Carol has published the Dolly May children's book series, and she's the creator of the Dolly May children's wear brand and also a creator of CMN Magical Books. Carol's books captivate children in an enchanting way. Carol has a background of 40-year career in nursing. She's an experienced personal development coach and mentor. Carol spent her early childhood growing up in the beautiful countryside of Mount Olive in Jamaica. As a child, Carol grew up with a love of reading books and writing. Now, before we go to our interview with Carol, we're going to go to a quick promotional break. Imagine having your very own career coach to help you prepare for your job interview and land multiple job offers. I have created the Success Interview Workbook. The workbook is based on my 15 years experience as a hiring manager. The 34-page workbook includes techniques on how to answer competency-based interview questions, behavioural questions, example questions and answers, checklist, action plan. The workbook is for anyone who's struggling with answering competency interview questions or behavioural interview questions, anyone who's lost confidence after several unsuccessful interviews. Take control of your job interview. Go to purpletransitionspersonalgrowth.co.uk Welcome Carol, I'm really excited to have you on today's show. I know we met briefly about a month ago at an international women's event, but I'm really so excited to learn all about your new books. So could you tell the listeners a bit about your, your background Hi, Sandra. Thank you for having me on your podcast today. Um, It's a great pleasure being here. And it was a great honor, actually, to to meet you at the International Women's Day and to learn of your development and of your business also. So um, my career and my background really is that um, I grew up in the Caribbean until I was about 14 years old. So my formative years was with my grandmother and my aunt who was the village school teacher. And that was where my passion and my love of reading um, and listening to stories really began because she would come home and introduce, you know, a lot of books to us as children although they were very, very advanced, <laughs> and I never really understood. But um, and between her and grandmother, grandmother would be telling different Nancy's stories and so forth. And the Caribbean people on the whole, they used to love telling stories and think some of that as well due to the, the colonialism and ways of they could communicate with each other and maybe pass you know, because all, all the stories that they tell have a meaning to them and where some of their history was lost, I think 
they desperately made of stories to, you know, to have that connection between them having left their mother country. So um, I came to England at the age of 14 because a lot of women of my age were left behind with grandparents and aunts and uncles while parents came to the West in search of economic freedom. And I know my parents was one of those, they call them now the Windrush generation who came to England and they were actually invited in to come to England. And as I mentioned earlier, I was very fortunate with the with my carers behind, with my grandmother and her daughter, who happened to be a school teacher. And, and so that really, really shaped, to be quite honest, I think living with my grandmother and my aunt really shaped the way my life turned out to be. I mean, so leaving that part behind and then coming to England to meet my parents was quite a different experience. I think some of that was really um, traumatic in a sense because you bonded with your grandparents and she was just a very wonderful and caring caring person and so was my aunt and her husband and her children. And then you come to England to meet your new family. And although that was quite exciting to an extent, the journey was not all that wonderful for a young child. You know, some were younger than me. I was 14. And so <laughs> if you imagine what it must be like on a for young people traveling across and, you know, you're being sort of the hair hostess were supposed to barely take care of you, but they didn't. So that, that was an, an, at the start of the, that experience. But however, I landed safe and it was great to meet my parents and so forth. Yeah, wonderful. And my brothers and my sisters. And, uh, you know, I was just welcomed with love and affection. Mm. Yeah, that's quite interesting because I remember reading a book by Doreen Lawrence. Uh, I think it's called And Still I Rise. And yes. she talks about when she she was, you know, she grew up in the Caribbean in Jamaica with her grandmother. And then she talks about her experience when she traveled to England to join her parents and what the experience was like. It was quite unsettling. And I listened to some of my peers and some of it was unsettling. And I'm not saying it wasn't unsettling for me. It was unsettling because I was uprooted you know, from and when yeah. I left my grandmother, she was very unwell. So she she was like my mother in a sense because she's the one that I knew from about the age of three. I think I remember my mother leaving me about the age of three. So the severance of that bond and trying to make sense of what's happening was really challenging. But the the my parents, you know, they were just so loving and, and kind and and it was, we were from a huge family there were nine nine of us all together but yeah all of us from the research I've had and the evidence suggests you know it has been very traumatic for all of us that were left behind and then you need to come to England and create that bond which is not always 
doesn't happen naturally, you know, because these are parents you don't really know. But I think they made it easy for me. Um, and and so, yes, when you talk to others, you will get a, a, a range, a diverse range of views about their experiences. And not every child that was left behind, you know, may not have been treated the way they should have been. What was life like, you know, adjusting to secondary school in the UK, coming from school in Jamaica? That was challenging. So I think my aunt told my mother that I should go to a grammar school because, um, but however, my mother spoke to a friend and her, her, she had a daughter at a secondary modern school. And so, you know, she said it was a very good school and, um, so forth and so when my mother and my father took me along and she was explaining to the head that my aunt said I should go to a grammar school and they were an ex-grammar school and they were really well why would you want to do that you know so they convinced and of course my parents didn't they didn't understand the education system over here and that importance of the division of the classes you know and so I missed an opportunity to go to the grammar school because I had passed in the Caribbean islands, in Jamaica, for sure. We all had to sit um, for this, this the, the, they're not called grammar school over there. So they're called high school and you have to sit a test similar to the 11 plus that you would do over here. So it's quite a big thing. And so all of my auntie's children had passed their high school test. I had passed mine and then I couldn't go because um, my mother wanted her child, which was me, <laughs> you mm. know, to come over. And, and I was 14, she, she didn't want to leave me any longer. It was getting, you know, to me. And so I, that I kind of understand, but the fact that they convinced her that that was the best place for me and so I had um, some of the experiences wasn't great. The head was great, but I had a very nasty English teacher who was very, very critical of my English and, and so forth. And I actually didn't do very well at that school. I then had to go on to college, you know, to do my GCSEs and so forth. I mean, my parents are part of the Windrush generation as well. I was born in the UK, but I remember being at primary school and there was a, a boy that came into the class. He uh, newly arrived from Barbados and he was just so much advanced compared mm -hmm. to the rest of us. His work, he was always, you know, almost like a couple of years advanced from where we were. Um, I know that from what I've learned about my travels to the Caribbean, the education standard is very, very high. Yes, because, you know, they didn't, you see, the parents didn't understand and the schools understood very well what they were doing. So, you know, they just see you as being of um, a working class background. They had no highest expectations. And we, a lot of us, I think, were really recruited for that labour market. You know, so, yeah, you were kind of geared up for nursing because your parents don't have any idea much about career opportunities and what is there for you. So, you know, um, the vast majority of my generation, we did go into nursing 
And then you spent a lot of time in it trying to leave, you know, which was not that easy because I got married, I had children and the children need to be supported, you know, and so forth. And you're working and maybe studying, you know, to get some form of progression within the health service. It was really, really tough. So that was what was happening at the time. Um, really, we weren't encouraged to reach our full potentials. And when you reach into the workforce, then, you know, you come up on the, the closure, the, the, the glass ceiling, where, again, they had their ideas who were suitable for management. And all the time, people would put limitations on you and so you have to find ways around and navigate around the system which just took a, a lot longer when it wasn't necessary and talking about being advanced yes we were far more advanced <laughs> than the children here academically but then they tried to suppress that within you yes i agree with that i remember primary school um we all did really well at primary school. I love school. When we went to secondary school, we noticed, well, I noticed that a lot of the children that like came from schools like in the inner cities, like maybe Rushome and Moss Side, they were put in like the lower streams. Mm -hmm. I mean, most of my friends, we were all in those streams, but we all eventually moved up. And then even when we got to the stage of doing uh, GCSEs, we weren't given the opportunity to do GS GCSEs. We were mm. uh, given we were given the CSEs, mm. and I decided I didn't really want to do CSEs, but I had to do them anyway. And then I said, "Well, I'm going to stay on in the sixth form and do my GCSE." Nice. And I got the A's and B's in wow. all my subjects. Yeah. Oh, so awesome. it was like held back. It was, um, yeah, it was challenging. I think we were the first generation in the education system and uh, they didn't really understand our background and so on. You know, they understood very well our background. I think it's just that they were just blatant in, in, in suppressing us. And when I, I went on to study sociology at, at, at college, you know, I think they're now called, called post-16 education and it, when, I, when I did sociology, it really opened my eyes to what was written about us. It was just blatant discrimination. A lot, a lot of negative things were written about us and recorded. You know, it was assumed that we came from home where, you know, parents stayed up all night and parties and a lot of stereotyping that mm. was in the literature about us, which was really quite foreign to a lot of us, because a lot of the children and the parents who left the Caribbean, they left from the, the countryside, you know, so they were farming, they were growing their own, their own agriculture, and, and, you know, they were, some were educated, some may have been doing seamstress, there was a vast, mm -hmm. vast array of art that was taken place, but obviously they were bundled into becoming the bus drivers because that was what Britain needed at the time. They mm. needed that workforce to come and build Britain post-war. So they knew jolly well what they were doing within the education system and where you see now where a lot of the boys have failed 
the school system have failed the boys. Something, I don't know, there's something, I think it is changing now and they've had some amazing results over lockdown, you know, with boys because, you know, the boys now are coming through. They're actually, you know, to me, their, their talent, their skills and everything, their abilities are now, you know, are now growing and expanding and all of that is, is happening. That is an, a new awareness because what they've done, they stifled. A lot of us were just being stifled in the education system and it then went into the workplace as well. Yes. Yeah, so when you went into nursing, um, what was your experience of nursing in terms of your development, um, the whole culture of nursing? Well, again, the culture of nursing was really an, an oppressive one. You were recruited. Um, there were two levels at the time. There were the ENs and then there were the S, the old SRNs, which are now RGNs. And so they re would rec recruit you into the into the second level, I think, where the enrolled en nursing. But sooner or later, when you really realize you got you did you got the management skill and so forth, you know, we are a nation of people with um, a highly intelligent, you know, we're highly intelligent people, highly creative. And so you decided the vast majority wasn't going to just sit around and be happy with being that 11th grade, you know, that second grade within mm -hmm. the organization. So you looked uh, around and navigate your way around the system uh, in order to see what you would need if it means going to college to improve your qualifications so you could then get to become a registered nurse because there would have been only a few of us. Um, there are some islands who were recruited into becoming a first registered nurse. But um, for the vast majority, we were just bundled into second grade. And But, you know, again, the way our minds were, we wanted better for ourselves. We want a better education, you know, because we know we had children. You want them to be better. So you need to work your way up into a higher position where the salaries would be much better. But um, on the whole, you know, I wouldn't say I didn't enjoy it. I did. It um you know, it's you can't explain it. We had the environments would be lovely, and you know, there was a humanitarian element of that. There was a lot of compassion and kindness, which we gave to the to the to the public. You know, people in your care. They those days, the care were really really high standards, and and so we did. We, but the, the, re, reciprocally, some. You know, you came up a lot of, uh, there were a lot of obstacles in your way. And so you navigate where the system in order to get promotions. And always when people get into the, the positions they want, you know, there would be a lot to undermine you and drive you out of that of the position in which you work hard for. Or sometimes they wouldn't give it, give it to you, knowing very well that you are more than qualified and suitable for the role you had the experience and so we did you know go through quite a lot which is supposed to be a caring position but they never really cared about you as a person of color 
Right. So how, how long did you stay in the nursing sector? Well, I think I did it roughly about 40 years, you know, but I was able to do, I had many very, very interesting roles. You know, the last 20 of it was in public health. So I worked with a lot and lot of young people. I developed services, lots of very dynamic things, you know, I was able to do by navigating my way around the system and look for where the opportunities are. Right. So when was the moment that you decided that you wanted to write a book, you wanted to become an author? Well, when I was doing my public health degree, I was at the time placed in Kent and um, I was working, I think, in Croydon, where we were having an influx of children that was coming in from, you know, war um, refugees and so forth and, and social the social care services really didn't know how to care for them and their needs weren't being met mental health they weren't being given a proper accommodation and lots of things and in that service that I developed um, working with primary care and social care service I became an advocate you know for these young people that were getting pregnant and just lots of things that was happening. Um, and so I wrote my first book was really about communication, how to improve communication between the between the services, you know, and how to help get young people to access services um, around their health, you know, health promotion, a lot of that work. So we um, signpost them to services you know to because the teenage pregnancy was just so high and yeah so I was working across the social care services and the primary care service in which I set up um, that service within under the umbrella of quality protects and so I wrote my first book but again I didn't know anything about publishing and so I remember I just wrote it I was doing my teaching as part of that public health degree and I just put it as an unpublished unpublished work so that was the first one which I look forward to be able to publish one day um, and then having done that work with disadvantaged children and you know I just thought something so many things was missing you know they had no no way of identifying there was no their identity that left lost the parents lots they were very very traumatized and then I decided I wanted to do some fostering for a while so I fostered a couple of children and the little girl just loves strawberries I'll <laughs> talk about this story many many times and so I was and left London and then moved to Cheadle. And Cheadle is very beautiful, you know, with rivers and so forth. And I would we would go out and have picnics by the river and you know, sometimes in my back garden. And so the first children's book was really about Amelia and the strawberry tea party. Again, I that was about 2003. I didn't know where anything about publishing and I also see in subconsciously I there was something there where I didn't feel you know it was for me so I'd written this book I'd spoken to a few people about it but wasn't getting any guidance you know and so I continued working within the field of public health 
until I got to 2015. It was retirement age. And by now, um, I was beginning to feel burnt out. It was like, I need to leave, really. And um, my daughter went off to the States to work. And so I visited her, stayed with her for three weeks. I came back and I decided I want to do something for myself. This was the time. And that was really where it all started. I contacted someone about a profile. She had a 21-day journal posted on her profile. And I contacted her to find out what was that about. Because, you know, I felt I was in a really great place and needing help, but didn't know where. It's really funny to say this, but I didn't know where. I could go to get the help I need. I couldn't quite fathom out what was happening to me. And so I contacted her and about 10 minutes into the conversation, she said, do you write? Because one of the things I did, I went on to train as a personal coach and development, personal development coach. And on that program, I met this lady. So, and so I, I you know, and she said, well, I know somebody who could, could help you and she said well, she's very busy but um I will ask her to make your priority and I thought, oh wow okay yes yes I didn't think any more of it because obviously and within a couple of weeks I was contacted by a publisher from London she was an independent publisher and she said she runs a writing workshop you know this was the cost if I would like to come you know and that was it For several weeks I was you know making trips back and forth to London. And that was it. Um, I learned how to structure a story, you know, creating a plot and, and you know, the reason I want to write, you know, and, and so forth. And I, something magical started happening in my life. And so what happened, I was really taken back to my childhood and at the time, there was a lot of political upheaval was happening, 2015, 2016. I was really quite disturbed by what was happening to her men. I'm a mother of two sons. And I felt, well, if this is, you know, this is harmful coming, we're seeing these horrible visual images coming through the social media, very distressing. How, you know, how must our children or our young men be feeling you know seeing these images and so the, the whole idea I thought let's change the narrative let let our children our children need to feel valuable to let them know that they're important part of this planet and so that was what I started to write about the story was plotted in my grandmother's garden where we bring in some characters who have been great influences in the world because a lot of children, a lot of homes don't really know much about their history, their heritage. And because I've, I'm writing a children's book, I wasn't writing a novel. So I, I wanted a gentle introduction into, into history. I didn't go back too far. I did research into ancient, um, ancient Egypt. And one of the characters, um, a lot of people, the principal have Mahat. So I thought I could bring that Mahat gently, in, introducing them gentle, 
into knowing about values, you know, that they are valuable people in this society and we have been a valuable part of this planet. You know, as a matter of fact, you know, we've been great creators in this world. And so that was how Dolly May was really created for children to feel inspired, to stretch their imagination and to know that they are great people and they too can become to dream big and to become great achievers on this planet. And the character Dolly May, she was an inquisitive and bright little girl. Mm. Was this little girl uh, part of your childhood in Jamaica? Uh, yes, yes, because I, I just always felt I'd had this very special childhood. And it's funny, I was in Croydon um, when I was doing part of my public health degree and we were talking about her or childhood experience. And I happened to say, well, I wasn't, I didn't grow up in Brixton, you know what I mean? I grew up in the beautiful countryside. So a lot of this stereotyping about us, you know, everybody thinks here in Manchester, you got to come from my side and so forth. The society don't understand that we have a rich history, a rich tapestry of history. So when our ancestors were taken out of Africa, they were often taken into the into the countryside of these highlands, you know, where they were on sugar mm -hmm. farms and all of that. So then people run off into the mountains and develop a life. So I wanted to write about that childhood that I had because I felt it was very beautiful. And, you know, I think a lot of parents may not often talk about some of the beauty that were left behind as well. Um, having to come, you know, to, to work here in, in the West, which has been not very pleasant for a lot of them. And in the book, you say Dolly May lives at the top of Mount Olive in the beautiful island of Jamaica. So was that where you lived, in Mount Olive, or was that...? Yes, that's where I was born. And right. Yeah. Um, I didn't leave there at at 14 I left my grandmother became here I think when I was about between eight and, and ten and then I went to spend the rest of my years before I came to England with my aunt at another side of the mountain and again that was just beautiful you know um, you're surrounded by fruit trees and rivers and you know all of that wonderful thing and yeah you would walk for ages to school but it it was it was beautiful, you know, so that that was really why I wanted them to to bring that countryside in back into into and into the lives of parents, because it, it was a lot of parents have loved the story. And um, we and, and at the same time, the research shows that we our children, a very small percentage of our children are in picture books you know you don't have picture books where we have been the main characters about I think it was about a one percent you know of all the thousands of books that were printed there's a small number of us being presented as main characters in stories so this whole idea of this book and they know that you know, picture books are very, very powerful when they're presented in a very positive way. We have just always been presented with European narratives and we, which we struggle. I don't know about you, 
but I struggled with the history because I was like, this does not represent me. King Henry killing all of his wives and all those horrible things that went on in, in her history lessons. There was none of it that was really pleasant, was it? I don't know if you can remember that. So, well, I didn't really sort of question it. It wasn't until I got older, left school, mm-hmm. started to explore my Caribbean history, my African mm-hmm. history, that I really got a more accurate view of what history was mm-hmm. all about. Yeah. So the truth, you know, the truth of the we are ancestors and queens and pharaohs and, you know, the the dynasties of of Africa. You were never told about that. You were just presented with negative images all the time. And we've been under 400 years of colonial rule. It's all one narrative. You know, the beauty, what is represented to us, you know, and all of that. So Dolly May was really... As, as a start to letting our children see themselves in a picture book and on the front cover of a book. And is that value, you know what I mean? It's a picture's mm-hmm. paint a thousand words. So a lot of the little girls, this book has, has sold about a thousand copies or more now. And the parents said, you know, the children just identify that little girl looks like me. There's the joy, the laughters, they like different characters and the pages. And it's just sheer magic. You know, that's why it was called the Magical Enchanted Garden. Because in that that garden is where the magic happens. You know, they get to meet different characters and they can realize that I too, you know, STEM is a very big thing. So they get to meet the hidden figures. It encourages your children to dream big. So, you know, we're bringing to them the introduction of Martin Luther King. I mean, that without him, I don't know, the world probably would have been a far worse place than it, it is today. When you think what his work for about equality and Nelson Mandela, um, Dr. Maya Angelo, and some less known characters, but even Mary Seacole and her great contribution to nursing, you never heard of her until a few years ago, you know? Again, that was not written into the history book. So we have to write our own stories to help us to feel better and know that we are a valuable part of this planet and continues to be. Yeah, I think these books are so important in children's lives. I wish I had the book Dolly May and the Enchanted Garden when I was like five, six years old. Um it just makes a huge difference to see yourself in a book. I'll never forget, I must have been about 12 years old and my mum had an ebony magazine and I opened the magazine and I just couldn't believe it. You know, there were black people in all the advertisements, articles. I've never seen anything like that in any magazines in the UK. And I'm saying to parents, you know, this is the book you, we would all love to have read, like you just said, as a child. So go out and get yourself a copy, a treat to yourself as well. Because um, when it was taken to Trinidad, my friend said, Carol, this lady just burst into tears. That's the impact it has, you know what I mean? So mm. I was in Birmingham on Saturday and, and a number of adults, I said, just buy yourself a copy. You know, treat yourself because you're seeing yourself being represented, which we never did growing up as a child was John and Jane. Um, With Dolly May and Mally's Alphabet Game, 
was this a game that you played as a child? Yes, again, you know, um, I spoke to the other family members as well, because, you know, sometimes you have vivid imagination as children. And, and so it was about bringing it, doing it, the alphabet game in again, in another fun, cultural way, so that the children can have, a, I say, a cultural, a healthy cultural experience. So the whole idea was that, you know, in, in the Caribbean, you would be playing an alphabet game and you would identify a fruit. The way in which they did it was quite different to the way it's been taught here. It's, it's very rich, the education and the Caribbean experience for those of us who are fortunate to have it. So it, that was how Dolly May again was really developed to give for the children, you know, European children as well, is giving them an insight into, you know, the way of some of the way of life in the Caribbean, which is different to their own. So that what was that was what it was. And so um I think even yesterday there was a beautiful comment came to say one of the, the parents who bought the book, no, she was a grandmother. And so she said when her two-year-old grandson, his eyes lit up when he saw the Aki tree. And because also grandmothers are very active, aren't they, in their children's lives? <laughs> it was in my day, you know. Um, I, it, the book is heavily featured again about around Magi, and this time we explain briefly about what the Mahatinis is all about. Um, they get a brief introduction into Africa, you know, um, towards the beginning at the end, at the end of the story, where she, um, one of the little boy wants to know about the zebra, <laughs> and she said. Um, you know, Martinez, we're at the end of her high spy game. Let's see who can spy something beginning with the letter Z, Magi said. Mali, who had a vivid imagination, said Z is for a zoo, where we can see animals like a zebra. What is a zebra, JJ asked. The zebra is an African animal with bold black or brown stripes across its body, and looks like our donkeys because again you know in the Caribbean at the time the donkey was a real was a great source of um, transport you know to get up and down the hills and carry the food to the market and that kind of thing would you get a zebra for us said Mali Magi smiled I would love to my dear Mahatinis but they belong in the African savannah where they are free to roam. Can you take us to the African savannah, Magi? Asked Mali and JJ. Martinis, your dreams will take you wherever you want to go. That's so magical. And so do you go into like libraries? I know a lot of libraries have like story time or do you go into primary schools? But that's the plan because um, obviously the first book came out in 2019. I managed to do a few primary schools, community centres and a nursery, but then lockdown came. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, yes, um, and it was a Zoom. And it's, I don't know, I did um, one school on the Zoom and it's just not the same. 
So I have been, I know schools are now looking to get me back in. So lots of things are happening at the moment. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's the whole idea. And I am planning to do um, a writer's workshop um, in the next, over the next few months. Yeah. Okay. And on your journey as a writer, what were some of the best resources that have helped you? And what advice would you give to someone who really wants to write, but they don't know where to start? I think it's very helpful to read and, and read everything and everything and anything. You know, the paper. I used to love reading the newspaper as a child in Jamaica, you know, and then there's all those older stories that, you know, and, and also it's very helpful to read. If you're a parent, read a lot, read as much as you can with your children. And I did that with my, my, my children and help them to write stories. That was what I did. For me as an adult, it is it was all about reading. I did love, love, love literature as well. So I did study um, GCSE O-level literature and went on to do A-level literature. But then, like I said, I didn't really know the opportunities or the career pathway into taking me into becoming a writer. And then later on, I, in order to write Dolly May, I joined the, the Writers' Workshop so I would um, recommend that to everybody. If you're planning to be a writer, read and read and read different styles of writing. One of the good things about British authors as well, that they're very, very good at writing stories. <laughs> so I've got some amazing children's book writers out there, read their work and um, find yourself a writer's workshop. Um, a coach, a coach can be very helpful, help you to facilitate and helping your dream, you know, to, to manifest your dream. It's all, it all really helped me, to be quite honest with you. And having more than one coach, you know, is very helpful as well, coaching and mentoring. And, and don't forget to always have a notepad and pencil with you. I said, you know, at one time, you know, the, the, a lot of the right, the older writers, the older British writers, you know, they would walk around with their, um, their pencil and pads. And if you're in the pub and as the idea drop into your head, you know, write it down. So it's just, uh, don't depend on your PC. You know, you can't beat a pencil and a pad in your handbag. And certain times of the, you know, when sometimes your day can be very, very busy, you know, so people get writer's block and so forth. Take time out, go and sit by, a, you know, wander around in a park where there's green space to motivate and inspire you. Being out in the universe and being in touch with nature also helps, you know. So, yeah, you find what is, is best for you. There are a variety of tools um, out there which can help you to develop your writing more so than ever as well, because we had lockdown, don't forget. <laughs> so um, one of the things I notice over lockdown, there's a lot of writers have sprung up. And the beauty of it now is that we've got independent publishing. It is expensive and it requires a lot of work 
um, and you know, being published by a traditional publisher is a coveted role, you know, but you now can can learn to do it the independent way. But obviously, you need a team. You do need a team around you. So the work I've created, you need a, um, a good illustrator. You know, you need people, beta readers. You need a proofreader and, you know, typesetter. But it, it's a beautiful journey, to be quite honest with you, in, in learning all the skills. Um, and it's very therapeutic as well because... I don't know what may have happened if I hadn't found writing, to be quite honest with you. So it's that, be- that therapeutic element, which is priceless. You really can't put a price on it. So some people may want to be put off by, oh, well, you know, the independent route, you're going to have to pay for it. But it's a self-investment. So you could see it as an investing in yourself and in your development. And you don't know where it will take you. The, the, the world's your oyster when it comes to, to writing. I mean, I'm interested in writing and mm. you've given me some key tips that I can take. Where, where can listeners get a copy of your of the Dolly May and the Enchanted Garden and Dolly May and Mally's Alphabet game? They are both available on Amazon. They're on, available on all, most of the online bookstores. Um, Barnes and Noble, Waterstone, Goodreads, Blackwells, I think files, <laughs> numerous ones. I I can't remember them all. I have been so forth because there's hundreds of online bookstores that, depending on where you are in the country, the distributor is Ingram Spark, and they also print and distribute worldwide. So, and then I have my own website which is um www.cmnmagicalbooks.com the beauty of ordering directly from my website is that you will get a personalized signed copy for yourself uh, or your child or grandchild or friend and you know niece and nephew so yes you have got a wide um, choice you can follow me on instagram you can follow me and um, Twitter and, and Facebook and LinkedIn. And I'm still learning on a learning journey with the social media platforms. But I um, on Instagram, I think there's a Linktree account. So you, it leads you to my website. And I think I'm also on the Google, sh- Google shop. <laughs> so, wow. it's, 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 it's a journey. But the book is, av- is widely available in I, you know, I'll say to anyone who's listening and want to be a writer, I, um, I've got a blog on my website as well. So t- although I've not done a blog about writing, but you can find some research um, about um, inclusivity and diversity. And um, I would say go for it. That was an amazing interview, Carol. I mean, there's just so much that you've overcome the obstacles, you just kept going, and now you're making an impact with your books on children and adults. It's amazing. I thank you so much for coming today and sharing your story. I know that you're going to inspire so many people, including myself. I mean, I'm going to get um, your two books for myself and my granddaughter. 
Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you for having me. It's 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 a great pleasure, you know, to share the experience because I said it's all about each one, teach one, you know, and we can make a change, you know, and so yeah, we just have to pluck up the courage and 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 make that start. It is daunting, don't get me wrong, but um on you know, mistakes, we make mistakes, but they, I use them as a learning, as stepping stones. You never be, you know, be afraid. You can, it's fearful at times, but, you know, challenge that fear, I would say, and and go for it. And I'm here, Sandra, you're, if, you know, just call me anytime you need any help. Oh, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. What I'm going to do, I'm going to put your website details and your social media handles in the show notes if anyone wants to get in touch with you. And again, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure. Your work is going to fill a large part of your life. And the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking, don't settle. A quote by Steve Jobs, co-founder of Apple. My mission is to help you if you are at the crossroads in your career or you have an interview coming up, you can email me at sandra at purpletransitionspersonalgrowth.co.uk.